Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This is page 1158 of your pew Bible. So I tell you this, and insist, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality as to, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Al. Would you all bow your heads with me? Dear God, we praise you for this opportunity for us to come together and to worship you. Lord, as we approach the celebration of Christmas, God, I pray that we would not be distracted by uh, the commercialization that is so much a part of it. Lord, of course, it is a wonderful thing to, to spend this time in festivity. Lord, we just ask that you would remind us that it is a festivity in celebration of you, Lord. And so I pray that you would draw each and every one of us here closer to you, uh, that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, that we would be, uh, you would use me, Lord, and you would allow me to get out of the way, uh, that Uh, You would be the one who speaks to all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hark the herald angels sing. I chose that one uh, this week. We'll probably do it again because we weren't really focusing on the angels this week. But uh, I chose it for this week because it has a line. It has a verse. Um, The last verse has a line which I think really connects the story of Christmas with the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, The line says, talking about Christ coming to this earth, it says, Mild he laid his glory by, born that no man may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Born to give them second birth. And it communicates this idea that that Jesus came, that, that he... He came and he put on a physical birth. He was physically born so that we could endure a a spiritual rebirth. That his physical birth points to and becomes the means by which we can experience a spiritual rebirth. Now, uh, not to draw too stark of a line between the physical and the spiritual, within Western culture there's been this strong line between the spiritual and the physical that's largely due to the influence of Plato, not the Bible. Actually, within the Bible's understanding, uh, even the soul, uh, the soul does not, does not simply refer to something as totally distinct from the body. Uh, the soul really refers to the entire person, but oftentimes from a spiritual perspective. So we're talking about a, a renewal that is, it, it encompasses the entire person. But nonetheless, it, it, it can certainly be referred to as a spiritual birth that that Christ came to this earth and he put on a physical birth so that we could experience this, this spiritual birth, that, that it's about becoming an entirely new person. And, and as Paul's going to point to here, he says it's talk, we talk about putting on a new self. 
putting off the old self and putting on a, a new self. It's about becoming an entirely different person. It's about changing who you are, not simply what you do. And I think that's important because in our culture, I think most people have this tendency to think, well, what it means to become a Christian is that I've got to change my behavior. Right? That's, that's primarily what it means to be a Christian. Right? Become, become a Christian means, well, now I've got to, you know, I've got to change you know, how, I, how I handle lots of different things. I've got to change how I deal with issues like sex and my behavior with regards to sexual relationships. It means I've got to change my behavior in terms of how I deal with my coworkers. I've got to be nice to people that maybe I really don't want to be nice to. And, and I've got to, you know, I've got to start caring about the poor. And I've got to change my behavior, right? And, and when you hear this sort of thing, I always, want to, I want, always want to say, well, yeah, sort of, but you're kind of missing the point. You're, 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 putting the, you're putting the cart before the horse, that, that it's not simply a matter of what you do, it's a matter of becoming coming something new. It's about putting on a new self. Actually, Paul in this passage, when he says to put on a new self, wherever that is, verse, verse uh, you know, it's in here somewhere. Verse, here it is, verse 24, verse 23, no, verse 24, put on the new self. Um, no one had ever used the Greek language that way before. This idea of putting something on, the, the word there, it conjures up the imagery of putting on a garment or something like that. And it was used in philosophical circles to talk about behaviors. So you would put on a, a virtue. You would put on a new behavior. You'd say, you know, I want to put on honesty or I want to put on whatever it is, some sort of behavior that you would put on. That's the kind of thing that, that uh, the philosophers would talk about. But, but nobody until Paul ever talked about putting on a new self. It's not just putting on a new behavior. That, that, that's putting the cart before the horse. Another way of saying it is that you've got to go through verses 17 through 24 before you can go on to verses 25 and following. We just are looking at verses 17 through 24. Beginning next week, we'll look at verse 25, and, and Paul is going to begin to talk about behavior, specific behavior. He's going to tell us Christians to behave. He's going to tell us this is, this is what it looks like to, to, well, this is how a Christian ought to behave. He's going to, talk about, he's going to talk about how the words that you use. He's going to talk about unwholesome talk and, and how we should avoid unwholesome talk. He's going to talk about speaking truthfully to one another, that we should be a people who in our behavior we are, we are honest with one another. He's going to talk about sexuality actually um, a fair amount. In a few weeks, we're going to be looking at that, how Paul addresses the issue of, of sexuality. Uh, we'll probably have the highest attendance we've ever had here in church uh, when we go into uh, that particular, particular message. So he's going to be talking about behaviors and how, as Christians, we ought to behave, but not before he talks about putting on this new self. He wants us to see this, that it's not, it's not simply about our trying to change your behavior it's a matter of putting on this entirely new identity, this entirely new self. And, and this is important because, you see, behavior, you, you can't just change your behavior. I mean, you try. You, you can try to just, you know, I'm just going to really work hard to change my behavior. And by my own strength, I'm going to, you know, act differently. And I think the reality is Paul wants us to see that's really not a very good way of going about it. It was interesting, this is kind of becoming more and more common these days. I was reading an article, and it was talking about how 
according to this individual and whatever, they, they were saying that, it's, that, uh, that studies are showing, whatever these studies are, are, are showing that, are, are suggesting that biblical morality, and particularly biblical sexual morality, is unnatural. Uh, in particular, this one article talks about how monogamy is unnatural. Uh, that, and, and that in a sense, to try to, try to encourage people to be monogamous is like, it, that's really uh, oppressive because you're forcing them to go against their, against their nature and that doesn't seem like a very, uh, very kind thing to do, right? That, that's just part of what their nature is. And I think what's interesting is I actually think Paul would agree with that. I think Paul would agree. I think he would agree that, that the, a lot of what the Bible teaches in terms of morality and whatnot goes against our nature. And, 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 and so he says this actually in, in, in Romans chapter 7. He talks about he struggles with this. He struggles. He sees what he wants to do. He sees how he, he, he wants to, to follow the law. He wants to follow the scriptures. And yet, yet his nature is, is on, it's fighting against it. So I actually think he would agree. And so you're left with these two options, right? Well, you can either, well, just try really hard to change your behavior. You can, uh, you know, just you can struggle with that. Or you can do, as perhaps is becoming increasing in our society maybe, is you just indulge. Just indulge your, your nature, right? These are the two options. And then there's the gospel. Then there's what Paul presents. He says, the issue here is... is there aren't two options. It's not like you've either got to repress your nature or give in to your nature. What he's talking about at the heart of the gospel is putting on a new nature, a new self. The God actually changes who you are. Changes who you are and enables you to live in a way that is more human than perhaps anyone has ever seen. This, this is the vision that comes through in Scripture. This is the vision that's coming through in Paul's it's not a matter of just trying to change your behavior. It's a matter of becoming a new, a new self, putting on this new self. Now, what, what does it mean? Let's try to get practical here a little bit. What does it mean to put on this new self? And I think we can just put it very simply. Uh, putting on this new self is really, is really addressing this question. It's saying, am I going to seek to find life in God or in the world. Putting on the new self is saying, okay, I am going to look to find my source of life in God, not in the world. And I think we see this if we look at, let's see here, verse 18. Here Paul is talking about those who are living out of the old self. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. So what marks out the the person living out of that old self, old nature, is that they are separated from the life of God. So the person who puts on the new self is a person who who is living out of a life, who is seeking to find their source of life in God, and not in the world. And actually, this becomes more clear in a parallel passage in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, we find a passage where Paul is talking about the same kind of thing. He uses a lot of the same language. He talks about the old way, the old self. He doesn't use that language in that passage, but nonetheless, that's what he's talking about. And he uses the same kind of language about about how people living out of that old self are darkened uh, in their understanding and 
and the futility of, of, their, of the, the way in which they're trying to live and all of this. And, and then he goes on and he says this. He sort of sums it all up and he says this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forevermore praised. Amen. So he's saying that the way in which you find, uh, put on this new self is by seeking to find life in the creator, not creation. What you worship is what you're trying to find life in. It's the same thing. Whatever it is that you worship, or vice versa, whatever it is that you're trying to find life in, that's really what you worship. And so what Paul's saying is that the person who's putting on this new self is the person who's seeking to find life in God, not in the world. Now, what I think is interesting about the language that Paul uses here when he talks about putting on this new self is that it really seems to imply this sense in which we have to make a decision. That there's a decision that needs to be made. And the decision is, it's, it's very clear. There's a, it's just this straightforward. Again, are you going to seek to find life in God? Or are you going to seek to find life in the world? And this decision is just laid right out there, very clear, very black and white. I think some of you who know me, and I think some of you get frustrated with me because of this, will know that in general... I tend to see the world not in very black and white terms. I tend to see a lot of grayness. Uh, so people will come to me and say, Pastor, you know, what do you think Christians, should Christians do this? How should we address this issue? And, and what about this particular, should we go this way or that way? And I think sometimes people can get frustrated with me because I'll end up saying things like, well, it depends. It depends on the context. It depends on the situation. I don't think there's necessarily a a clear guide on which way it just it depends. You've got to have a sensitivity to the spirit. You, get, you know, it's, it's just not always that clear. So I can have this sort of tendency to be sort of gray. But if we pull up to 30,000 feet, this is where I'm going to be very black and white. You see, this is where we've got to be crystal clear. And again, the black and white question is, are you going to seek to find life in God or in the world? See, when we get up to that perspective, I'm not going to be gray here. This is as black and white as it it gets. You see, I think sometimes some of us can have the tendency to be black and white at about 5,000 feet. right? So we're we're very clear, well, you should go this way, and you should do this, and you should act this way. But we kind of lose perspective on what, well, okay, what is this really all about in the first place? Or to put it another way, um, I think that some of us, Some of us are very good at being black and white on how to pack the car, right? So so if you're packing the car, you you have very clear uh, directions on how the car should be packed, right? So dad's suitcase should go on the left side on top of the spare tire. Uh, Mom's five suitcases should go uh, to the right. That was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. I know not all, all of you are like that. Her five suitcases should go on the, on the other side, and then you should put, you know, the cooler needs to be wedged right in next to her pink bag against the window. This is how you pack the bag. And, and so you might even argue with your spouse, well, this is how you pack the bag, honey. I know how to do this. This is very clear. Um, but you haven't really even figured out where you're going. I mean, you know how to pack the bag. You got that figured out. But you haven't, you know, it's not really clear where you're going. And what I want to say is, 
you know what? I think there's probably more than one way to pack the car. But let's just be very clear on where we're going. I mean, let's get the big picture part right. This is where we've got to be black and white. We've got to ask ourselves, and we have to put this question before our mind day in and day out, and that's this. Are we going to try to find life in God, or are we going to try to find life in the world? Now, of course, this does not mean a sort of abandonment of the world. It's not like, oh, the world is all bad, and and we should, this is, again, sort of the Gnosticism uh, took this sort of line of thinking. It's almost like anything physical is bad. And so, you know, you should just, you should sell everything. You shouldn't have any money. You shouldn't have any food. You should, you know, whatever, because that's all evil, and we should just be sort of spiritual beings. That's, that's not what this is talking about. What it means to say that you find life in God, not in the world, is that everything in this world is ultimately subservient to your seeking life in God. So, in other words, nothing in this world can ever rival God in terms of your priorities. That there should be nothing in this world that you are not willing to give up. It's not wrong to have it. In fact, God wants us to live a physical embodied existence. These are things that he gives us, gifts that he gives us. But the question is, am I willing to give that up, whatever it is, because God, in the end, is the only true source of life. That's what that means. And, of course, how you parse that out, okay, that's going to start to get gray. That's going to start to get ambiguous. But we've we've got to get the big picture right. When we put on this new self, we have to make this decision. Am I going to seek to find life in God? Or am I going to seek to find life in the world? That's what it means to live out of this new self, is to seek to find life in God. Now, let's, let's break this down a little bit more. What does it mean to seek to find life in God as opposed to in the world? And I'm just going to say two things. It means that we seek to find our value and our worth and our identity in God, not in the world. And we seek to find our joy and our happiness in God and not in the world. Let's talk about this first part. To put on the new self, to seek to find life in God, is to seek to find your worth and your value and your identity in God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What that's saying is that, that I, I, I no longer, how can I put this? I no longer need to try to be somebody. I no longer need to try to be somebody. I no longer try to need to make a name for myself. And that doesn't even mean being famous. I mean, some of us, we try to make a name for ourselves, and really all we mean is we just want our name. We, we want to be somebody, even if it's just within our circle of friends, even if it's just within our family, even if it's just within our church, even if it's just within our, co- uh, our uh, business setting with our few coworkers and whatever it is, you know, that you want to be somebody. You've got you've to be somebody. You think, I think so many of us spend so much of our life just trying to be somebody, trying to get our value and our worth from, what our, from those around us and, and from, our, from people in the world. Them giving us our value and our identity. And so what, what this means to find your life in God is to find your worth and your value in him. To say, I, I don't need to be a somebody because in Christ, I am more than I could ever be on my own. Tim Keller shares a, a, a story about a, a man who seemed to get this. A man who finally put on the new self and found his value and his identity 
in Christ. He, Keller talks about how he, he served in a different church many years ago. And he met this man, uh, this older man, and this older man was functionally illiterate. He was disabled, and he was mad. He was mad. And he was mad at just about everybody. He was mad at people of other races. He was mad at his family. He was mad at his wife. He was mad at his children. He was just mad. And this madness was just sort of always there. And then he began to be exposed to the gospel on a regular basis. And after many, 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 many years, uh, Keller started to notice there was a change in this man. There was a softening in this man. And everybody was noticing it. His wife was noticing it. Everybody was noticing that this man was changing. And so finally, Keller had a chance to talk with him. And he said, hey, what's going on? And, And this is what the man said. He said, you know what? He said, for all of my life, whenever I would... Uh, get into some sort of interaction with somebody and something would rub me the wrong way, I would hear this voice in my head and this voice would say, you are illiterate, you are disabled, you are worthless. And he said, "I, I would just hear this every time anybody would say something to me. But he said, but I'm coming to realize that's not who I am. That my worth and my value, it it isn't in that. My worth and my value is in the fact that I have a God who loved me so much that he came to this earth for me. He died on a cross for me. He sought me out because he saw me as being of inestimable worth. That that's where my worth, that's where my value is. That's who I am. And so the anger started to go away. You see, that's, that's very different than just trying to change your behavior. That's totally different than, hey, crotchety old man, stop being so mad. Right? That's, 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 that's changing who you are, and then that turns into a very different way in which you live. This is a man who is putting on the new self, putting on his identity, finding his value in God and not in what others were saying or thinking about him. Putting on the new self is finding our worth and our value in God and not in the world. And secondly, putting on the new self is seeking to find our joy in God and not in the world. And what I think is interesting, I'm going to show this in this passage, is that I think what this passage is pointing to is that when you find your joy in God, it actually opens up your ability to experience joy in this world. Now, in order to see that, we've got to look at the old self, okay? So in order to see how that comes out of the new self, we've got to look at the old self. And Paul describes the person who's living out of the old self. Oh, I'm Ariel. I'm on the wrong page. He describes the person living out of the old self as as an individual, listen to this, verse 19, who has lost all sensitivity. It's been hardened. He's lost all sensitivity. Now, primarily what this is talking about is having lost all sensitivity to God. 
They just, there's just no openness. There's no sense of sensitivity to God. That's primarily what Paul's talking about. But I think it actually points to something else, interestingly enough. And that is that this person, not only are they not sensitive to things of God, but they're also not sensitive to the world around them. And, and I think what's evident with the way this is revealed in this passage is that it says, having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. A continual lust for more. You see, I think what's going on here is that there's a lack of sensitivity, and so because you don't sense anything, you just need more and more and more and more and more to try to get some sort of feeling out of this. Uh, it's a little bit like my, my grandfather, uh, before he passed away, he lived with me for uh, a few uh, months and so we would share meals together, and he had pretty much lost his entire sense of taste. So to taste anything, he just had to like tons of salt and tons of pepper and, and really spicy hot sauce, like anything just to try to get any sort of flavor. I think what Paul is saying is that the person living out of the old self, that's kind of how they are with life in general. Like they're just dead. They, 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 can't even, they can't even appreciate the good things that are around them. Not only do they not experience joy in the Lord, but they can't experience the joyful things that are all around them, that they're, they're never satisfied. A mark that you're living out of the old self is that you're never satisfied. A mark that you're living out of the old self is that, that you, you, always, you always need more because that, that sensitivity is, is, is lost, and so you can't, you can't experience even the good things that are around you. This is the... This is the person who's never satisfied in their job. They're never satisfied because, because they, they can't even sense the good things that God has given them. All they, all they see is the things they don't like, and, but they're completely unopened to the joy that is, that is actually there. Now, this is the person who, who is never satisfied in their relationships. They've sort of lost the sensitivity. They're unable to appreciate the good things about the relationship, good things that God has given them, so they, just, so they need more. They just always need more and more and more, and they, because they've they got to keep pouring it on there because they're dead. They've lost that sensitivity. This is the person who's lost their sensitivity um, and, and, and is never satisfied with the things that they have, so they always need new things. Got to have a new car, got to have the new house, got to have the new this and this. Because your sensitivity is, is dead. You can't experience the joy in the things that you've got right there. The, this is the person who's, who's never satisfied in, the, in, in their sex life. And Paul's actually going to talk about sexuality later. And this is a person who they, 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 they have to always go somewhere else. This is a person who maybe they're in a, in a marital relationship and they have to go somewhere else to try to be, uh, to, to, to have any sort of stimulation because they're, they're, they're just deadened. And they're never satisfied. So what do they do? They just, they indulge, and they indulge, and they indulge, but as Paul says, it's futile. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They think that if they just get more and more and more of it, that that's going to that's gonna make it better, but the problem is that they've lost all sensitivity, so it doesn't matter how much they keep, keep pouring on there. So this is the old self, the old way, and what's interesting is that I think actually within the old self, there are actually two ways in which you can live out of the old self. One is what I've just described, and that's to just indulge. Just indulge. That's, you know, that's sort of the, uh, the younger brother of the prodigal son story. That's his approach to his old self. 
just indulge, try to get more and more and more. But, but there's another way in which you can live out of that old self. And this is sort of more of the religious way of living out of the old self. And here's what the religious person does who's living out of the old self. You see, the religious person is able, they don't, they don't continually indulge. Why? Because they use self-restraint. They use discipline. You see, religious people tend to be pretty disciplined. They're able to sort of restrain these desires and, and, these, and these passions. But what actually happens is that they, this tends to lead to a self-righteousness and to a bitterness. It's actually a self-righteousness that stems from a bitterness, right? It's the self-righteousness that says, well, I'm not indulging. I'm not like all those other people that are indulging in all of these things. I'm refraining. I'm restraining. But it stems from an incredible bitterness. And you know why? Because deep down inside, that religious person living out of the old self, whether they admit it to themselves or not, they wish they could indulge. So they, they, they wish, that it might not even, it might be so deep down, they don't even admit it to themselves. But really, the reason why they're bitter is because they, they wish that they could indulge. And, and so they're just, trying to, they're just trying to hold this back and... The reality is that oftentimes this is untenable. You, you can't maintain this. So usually it breaks. This is why when religious people sin, it usually just comes out of nowhere. You're like, whoa, I had no idea that that, that, that was there. And well, well, of course, because they, they, they were covering it up, but it finally reached this breaking point. And when it reached that breaking point, it was just gone. Tim Keller makes an interesting observation in relation to this point. And he talks about American culture in general over the last 50 years. And he says, if you asked asked the majority of Americans even 25 years ago their views on Christian morality, and in particular sexual morality, the vast majority of people would have affirmed traditional biblical morality. But just within a couple of decades, it's almost completely... Just, just immediately, it's just flipped. And what he suggests, he doesn't actually say this, but there's this implicit suggestion that is it possible that the reason why the, the majority of those people were affirming true biblical morality, that it wasn't really because of a genuine heartfelt transformation of the heart, transformation of the spirit, but it was because of a, a sort of cultural pressure. It was an external pressure upon them, and and that once that was gone, well, then, then the true self just came out. Well, then here we go. This is, this is who we really are. You see, this sort of external pressure, it's only going to get you so far. Eventually, it's, it's, it's going to break. So there are these two ways in which you can live out of the old self. One is sort of this religious way of just trying to restrain it, trying to refrain it. But ultimately, that's not going to work because the old self is still there. So probably, eventually, you're going to end up, you're going to end up indulging. So then you'll go the other way in the way in which you, you deal with your old self. is just by indulging and indulging because you can't, can't find any, any feelings. So you have to indulge because of this lack of sensitivity. That's the old self. And Paul is saying there's a new way. There's a new self. When you seek to find your life in, in God, when you seek to find your joy in God, 
not only do you get the joy that comes from knowing God, but I think it also opens up your sensitivity to the things around you. And this is sort of the irony here, that, that the person who, is, who, who seeks to find life in the things of this world, they pursue that, and not only do they not get the joy that comes from God, but they also don't get the joy of the thing that they're pursuing. But the person who says, hey, you know what, I'm going to seek to find joy in God, not only do they get the joy that comes from God, they also get the joy that comes from the thing in this world. Or as Jesus might say, if anyone wants to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. He's saying whoever tries to find life in this world, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses the world for me is actually going to get life, even the life that comes from the goodness of God's creation. I mean, after all, he is the one who created it. It is good. There is joy to be experienced there. You see, when you find your joy in God, it it softens you. It opens up your sensitivity and you begin to experience the joy in even the littlest things. I think no one puts it better, no one says it better on what this life can be like than Patricia in Joe versus the Volcano. One of my favorite movies. Tom Hanks plays Joe Banks. He's a hypochondriac who was hired to jump into a volcano. That's the short version. Meg Ryan plays a number of different roles, and one of the roles is this woman named Patricia, and she makes this comment about her father. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total Amazement. I think what Paul wants to say is that, that that's the life that is intended to come out of this new life. <laughs> that you can begin to live in a state of constant, whatever, total state of constant amazement. Just at what's around you, the littlest things, that as you find joy in God, as you find life in God, it opens up your sensitivity to the incredible things that are all around you, that are the incredible things even in the job that you hate, the incredible things even in the marriage in which you're struggling, and the incredible things that are all around you. As you find joy in God, and you, you, the more you do that, you can begin to live in a state of constant, total amazement. So ultimately, what what does it mean to put on this new self? Paul puts it this way. After describing the old way, then in verse 20, he says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. You did not come to know Christ that way. What's interesting about this passage is that Paul, actually a couple of times in this passage, Paul does something, writes something that nobody had ever written before, even in terms of grammatical structure and whatnot, it makes it a very challenging passage to translate because Paul just likes to make things up, do things all the time. And this one in particular, what it literally says in verse 20 is, however, you did not come to learn Christ that way. You did not come to learn Christ that way. And this word learn in, in the Greek was used in antiquity quite regularly, but it was always to talk about learning a subject matter. Right? So you could learn poetry, you could learn arithmetic, uh, you could learn how to cook, but nobody in all of antiquity until Paul 
ever used it to talk about a person. It says, you did not come, did not come to learn Christ in this way. You see, Paul is getting to this very profound centrality of the Christian faith and that it's not just a philosophy, it's not just a way of life, it's not just about, it's not just about coming to understand that, it's about coming to know a person. <laughs> it's about coming to know the God who has come into this world, who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus, that we can know him in this personal way, that this, this is what leads, this is what it means to put on the new self and to be transformed. As we reflect upon Christmas, as we reflect upon what it means to come to know God, we find an interesting parallel here that what we're looking to do is to put on this new self. And the way in which we put on this new self is coming to know the one who put on the old self so that we could put on the new self. The Christ laid down the glory of heaven. He came in and, and he... He incarnated, he came into this world, and he, he put on the weakness of human flesh. He, he, he took that upon himself. He, he took that on so that we could experience the new birth and the new life. So we approach Christmas. I pray that we would not seek to try to change our behavior. I pray that wouldn't be our focus anyway but that we would first and foremost seek to learn Christ, seek to know him, seek to meditate on this amazing reality of this God who has come for us. And that in that we might find our new self. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for your abundant grace. We praise you that you are a God who is not not concerned primarily with what we do, but primarily with who we are, and that you love us despite who we are, that by your grace we can be changed, that we can become more and more the people who you desire for us to be, and that in that we can find the joy and the freedom that is available in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.